1: Hello and welcome to Episode 8, Season 3 of This Spiritual Fix. Today we are going to be interviewing Gemma Rain. Gemma Rain is a personal transformation coach with deep insight about when an unhappy relationship can and cannot be salvaged. She also has a deep interest in psychology as well as an intuition that she applies to all of her coaching. We hope that you enjoy the interview. We did. Mommy, you me me? Me? Uh, <laughs> no! This Spiritual Fix. Two mystical mamas hacking the self-help game. With Anna Strongquist And Christina Wiltsy. Hi,
0: Anna. Hi, Christina.
1: And hi, Gemma. Welcome. Welcome today to this Spiritual Fix. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, thank you so much for being here.
0: I love that you're here. I'm a big TikTok fan. I love how you manage to fit so much wisdom into a 60-second clip.
2: Oh, thank so. you. Yeah, it is kind of jam-packed and I'm a talker so it is it's kind of a good challenge for me to have actually to have to keep it shorter
0: you know and that's actually how I found out about you was one of your viral TikToks came on and you were talking about the reason why 80 percent of divorces now are initiated by women and then if you're looking at college educated women it's 90 percent and you go into the whole dynamic of why women are more more I don't know if disgruntled, disappointment, disappointed, Jada. I don't know what the word was you used, but (laughs) why ultimately the woman is deciding to end it? Because I think you were talking about the emotional work is in the woman's hands, traditionally Mm -hmm. in hetero relationships to manage the relationship. And that burns us out.
2: Yeah, exactly. You know, it's something that I didn't know the specific stats until more recently, but I always knew that I grew up hearing this, my mother and, mother-in-law, you know, both therapists or partners actually um, in a therapy practice. And so I always heard about how it's usually the women who initiate divorce and hetero relationships. And so I just thought everybody knew that. And then, you know, as I was hearing about friends getting divorced and clients getting divorced, again, I just assumed everyone knew that. And then I suddenly realized people don't know that stat. We tend to know the stats around how many, you know, first, second, third marriages end in divorce, but we don't know who's initiating it. And I thought, A little suspicious about that, you know?
0: Yeah, it's just, yeah. A part of me wonders well, is it because, okay, not to be sexist here, but is it because men are traditionally getting lazier in relationships or is it because maybe we're harder to please? I don't know, because sometimes we're like, I'm in a situation with men. Mm -hmm. And they're just like totally able to digest the moment. And I don't know if it's my hormones or what, but Uh, I'm over here being like, what can I fix? What needs do I need? And I don't, I don't don't, know.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think those are all really good questions because I think in the same way that you've maybe heard me talk about that, we have to stop telling women that they're crazy and women do it. We participate in that as well. We will say, oh, she's mm -hmm. crazy. It's the go-to insult and dismissive criticism when a woman is being expressive with her feelings. And in that same way, I think this idea that we've all kind of internalized about how, oh, you know, it's so hard to make a woman happy. Women are never happy. I think that's related to patriarchal values and messages Mm -hmm. as well. And so I really think it's important to move away from that. I think women can actually be really good at cultivating their own happiness. I think it's more about the fact that we've been conditioned supported, encouraged to prioritize meaningful relationships from a very young age. You know, young boys are discouraged from that. They're veered more, stirred more towards independence, competition. We are taught to cultivate these intimate relationships with friends, right? And so we learn the skills. And so women in long-term relationships because of all these opportunities and encouragement, we're monitoring how close the relationship is. And so we're going to be not always, but more likely to identify when this connection is setting in faster. I think it's that. Like the canary
0: in the coal mine. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And so Hmm. what I notice is that men who have been given many opportunities to understand emotions and talk about them and it doesn't threaten their masculinity, they will help in identifying when in a partnership they're becoming disconnected. So it's really kind of about opportunities to practice those skills and that mindset. Yep.
1: Yep. Funny side note real quick before I, I because I would love to respond to that is that I was listening to a podcast recently. that was talking about the medical history of the understanding of the uterus. And it was talking about how, up until probably the early 20th century, they thought it was wandering. It (laughs) it was described as an octopus that wandered around the body. (laughs) And then there was also this comparison and I keep thinking of it, even though it was hilarious. It was like a book in 1840 or it was like in the 1840s or something like this. And it was like a major mainstream doctor. And the way that he described things was he was like, imagine that you are riding a horse and you're trying to get your your horse from point A to point B and imagine you have two horses one horse is very well behaved and it'll just walk from point a to point b and it like mind your your directions and it kind of does everything it needs to (laughs) Uh and then the other horse is bucking and kicking you off and it's trying to go around in circles and it's trying to go this way and that way and it won't go straight and then it's going over to the left and then it's going to stop eating here and it's going to do this and that and they're like you can't help if the female body is this second horse, Ugh. in which your mind is trying to get from point A to point, or you know, you're trying to get from point A to point B, but you have this body that's just working against you.
0: I saw, I saw a meme, and it was like Freud writing a prescription, and it was between Freud or something and his and a patient. It was actually the husband of the patient. He says something like, "My wife, who has seven children in eight years and has never had an orgasm, seems to be going crazy. Can you please write a prescription?" <laughs>
1: yeah yeah but but to answer you know what you were saying like i think that you're absolutely right i just went to my library and saw a book that was like how to take care and feed your husband for a happy oh. life right and this book oh is God. not that old burn it so. i wanted to go up to the librarians and be like seriously is do you never call for obsolete right <laughs> but at the same time like I believe that probably in the area I'm at, there's probably a lot of people who are still at that place where the yeah, it is a mothering relationship that women are, are taught to cultivate with their children and their husbands, right?
2: Yes, which is so destructive to physical intimacy and <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you hear about it all the time. And so even if, you know, so many women are saying, I wish, you know, in heteronormative relationships, I wish that my, you know, husband would, would. Would express his feelings with me, would be more vulnerable with me. So could I, I could have a sense of his inner being. And then there are other women who are saying, Well, I, I was with a guy like that. And I got to tell you, there were times where I was like, Could you rein it in a little bit? That's too much emotion. And so it's finding, and so, you know, people talk about finding the balance. I think what it's actually about is if you're with a partner who is more in touch with his feelings, but hasn't learned how to self regulate to manage those feelings on his own. And he's depending too heavily on you to help him, you know, navigate those feelings. You are going to feel like his mother. That's what we do for our kids when, you know, when they're young and they're learning how to, to, to self-regulate. So we need to be able to self-regulate
0: and co-regulate. Yeah. Yeah. So in a way, one of the best things we can do for the future is teach our sons, to Absolutely. emotionally regulate so that their future partners if they're hetero mm-hmm. their wives or whoever aren't having to do it for them.
2: You're right. And for <sighs> guys what I notice is even though I'm seeing a lot of more evolved aware younger got men who are coming to me in their early 30s I'm just so impressed. You know, they're saying I realize that I'm, you know, not as in touch with my emotional landscape as I could be, maybe not in those words, and I want to You know, I want to evolve and I want to learn relational skills and they are seeking out and finding the books and the podcasts to learn, to figure out what they can do differently. I mean, that is so impressive to me. And yet society still calls on them to compartmentalize their emotional intelligence, which is really disturbing. I mean, my son is now 20, but when he was a lot younger, one time he was talking to me about some struggle he was going through with friends and at some point in the conversation i said to him okay so when you go to school tomorrow you know how do you want to initiate a conversation with them around this and he said and he looked at me like oh i'd have to explain to this woman how the world works i was like mom there's no way that i can bring that up with them it's going to make them so uncomfortable guys don't talk about that stuff right yeah so they have to compartmentalize right they can maybe talk with members of their family who have these discussions with their partners but it's still they still can't do it with their friends. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. That's also the patriarchy, right? Which is you, yes,
2: yeah, right. so, so both people. This is the thing. Both men and women are suffering mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. of that. You know, patriarchal pressure. You know, of what it means to be a man. It's. I, I like bell hooks' kind of description of patriarchal masculinity. I don't really love the talk about toxic masculinity, mm-hmm. just because. I think automatically it's insulting. If somebody started talking about toxic femininity, my guard is up a little bit already. That's so true. I like the combination of, you know, patriarchal masculinity and then also feminist Liz Plank's description of mindful masculinity. That that's I love that because men are being conditioned to not only feel, you know, alienated from other people in their lives, their partners, their kids, but also from themselves. So they are suffering, you know, in terms of who brings it up in the relationship. The women are often going to call it out first, but it doesn't mean that the men aren't suffering. They maybe just don't have conscious awareness of how they're suffering.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. It's it's almost like, the masculine, you know, we before the episode, we were talking a little bit about the divine masculine, divine feminine that exists within us, it almost feels as if the divine masculine is suffering from overexposure, because of the patriarchy. I know that seems like a strange, no, but tell me more about but what you're thinking, just, you know, how, when something is allowed too much rain and doesn't have that balance it can kind of grow in a way that is. It, it it kind of overgrows right it's like it needs its checks and balance with the other part of it so that's mm-hmm. you know and so then you see that interesting thing i don't know that's me going down a rabbit hole in my, in my- like a weed
0: that <laughs> that's not getting crowned or something
1: yeah kind of like a weed that's not getting room something like that i don't know all of this exists in balance nature is looking for a balance in all things mm-hmm. and we haven't allowed that balance to happen so we're seeing it in all the people around us and all of our relationships we're seeking the balance within ourselves, but also trying to look at other people to create that. And so then you get with one partner and that partner may have an overabundance of one and then you're then compensating on your side and then it becomes this dance. So I yeah. Yeah,
2: because so I think when you talk about balance, I often think of balance about relational properties, right? About a relational mindset. So I, I get what you're saying. It's true. You know, if it becomes too much about, again, the men are conditioned to, to think that they have to handle everything on their own, to be that the value is in their independence. So they're often not thinking in a relational way. Women are conditioned to think in a relational
1: way.
0: All right. Should I start with one of our questions? Yes, hey. I could just talk with Gemma forever. Oh, yeah, I know. I know
1: rabbit holes. So. We've been
0: talking in this series about the divine masculine and the divine feminine. So we've already kind of set up the definition of what that means, divine masculine meaning You know, part of us, you know, male or female or non binary, we might have more masculine energy or more feminine energy in us. So we're talking more about those roles, like the person. So if we're talking about hetero relationships in this culture, what do you think are the fundamental differences that men and women have in a relationship that lead to the communication breakdown?
2: I think it's, yeah, it's a lot about that we've been conditioned to think that men and women are so different you know, are there differences? Yes. However, we're not as different as we've been led to believe. So in that social conditioning, I I think what happens is it really limits our sense of self-worth. So men are, you know, given all these messages that they internalize that their worth is about doing, is about being, you know, good providers, is about their career success. And so even men who are in touch with their emotions, who are really great, connectors, very skilled at that, they will still describe their strengths as related to doing. They don't get that their value is about being. And then for women, we receive all these messages that we internalize that our value is about prioritizing the care of others and, and neglecting the care of ourselves. And so we then feel selfish if we prioritize our own care. And there's more awareness around that now in terms of the importance of caring for yourself, nourishing yourself in order to be able to show up for other people as well, to not get resentful. So I think those internalized messages from society are not only limiting our self-worth, I think they're leading to a lot of problematic patterns within relationships. and and, And there's a whole range there, right? That... That because men are discouraged from displaying unpleasant emotions beyond, you know, kind of the primary emotions that sometimes show up before they flip to frustration and anger and the same with pleasant emotions, right? People are not that comfortable with a guy who's like jumping up and down with joy and exuberance. They're okay with women doing that. So for men, their emotional experience gets very narrow, for both pleasant and unpleasant emotions. And then for women, we're taught to focus on everyone else's emotions. So we're in touch with ours. But then we also have some challenges with, you know, managing our emotions and, and soothing ourselves and all mm-hmm. of
1: that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm just genuinely convinced that there's probably huge swaths of generations of even, especially like I'll I've, I've use my, as mm-hmm. an elder, I'm on the cusp of millennial and elder, uh, okay. millennial and Gen X, but. Are that just have literally developed no emotional maturity in that way that ability to self regulate, that ability to do all that. There's just so many people who are just operating that way. Some people don't discover it Mm -hmm. till they have kids, right? Yeah, yeah,
2: I agree with you. Yeah, yeah. And and so, there's all kinds of, as we know, all kinds of numbing behaviors, avoidant behaviors, you know, trying to avoid the emotions that we don't trust we can move through. We don't think we can handle them. Yeah.
0: Mm -hmm. Understanding the problem is part of it, but then I guess healing or transformation is the second part. So if a man is aware of this, okay, a man's listening right now. He's like, wow, you know, I can see how society has made me have a really small amplitude in my range of of what are acceptable emotions no, knowing that, how can someone step into feeling more emotion it, it just seems very abstract. Is there a how-to are there some hacks? Well,
2: you know, I refer to some of the people who've been researching this and written great books on this, like Mark Brackett's book Permission to Feel. Usually with clients, I use the emotion identification chart. I think it's called the mood meter that's in his book. he didn't come up with it, but he uses that too. And he, in his book, helps us understand how to use that. So the research shows that if we can more specifically identify what we're feeling, so not just, I feel terrible, but specifically know um, it's called granulation. What is it hopelessness, discouragement, fear, embarrassment, you know, what are you feeling? And then, you know, once you can identify it and understand what energy is attached to that, the reason that I love the chart that he uses is there's a correlation between what you're feeling and your energy, right? Like a high energy, unpleasant state, like, you know, anger versus a low energy, unpleasant state like hopelessness, and the same for the the pleasant emotions. And after the identification is understanding, then I I think the process of self compassion really plays into this. So Kristen Neff's work on self compassion, she's a self compassion researcher, and I've done a number of self compassion. You know, intensives and learned a lot about how effective that is. So really, just humans have a tendency to be so self-critical, right? So, our inner world is not a safe place to be when we're not even aware that we're being self-critical. Even when I listen to people in sessions ask why questions, they'll say, "I mean, why do I da da da? Why?" It's under the guise of they're being curious. And it actually sounds to me like more self-criticism. Right. right? It's the persecutor
0: and the drama triangle. Yeah. Yeah,
2: exactly. Rather than, you know, so I always say, okay, let's switch those to how or what questions so that you can be kind to yourself. So it's just acknowledging if it's an unpleasant emotion, this is what I'm feeling. Ugh, it's awful to feel that way and to literally tell yourself and use your own name. I'm sorry. You know, I'm so sorry that you're suffering right now. That's really hard. And then to be able to ask yourself, what do I need to hear right now so that you can then comfort yourself so that you just start gaining more self-trust and the ability to sit through unpleasant emotions. And I, and I also really believe what Brene Brown talks about that we also have difficulty trusting the pleasant emotions that when we feel joy, we suddenly get scared that the other shoe's about to drop and maybe we can't sit in that joy too long. So it's just not just identification, but comfort with moving through emotions. And then you can start moving on to how do I want to engage with people and activities during the day to play a part in what I want to So then it moves into kind of the how of happiness, which is Sonia Libomirsky's work, because she talks about how, you know, 10% of our happiness is cultivated from circumstantial stuff where we live and, you know, where we work and, you know, 40% is genetic, but even that is not a given that all those genes are going to be turned on. And then the other 40% is in our control. It's about how we decide to move through our day, what activities we engage in. So we actually have a decent amount of agency over our fulfillment and to recognize how that's connected to what emotional states we want to feel more of. That's fascinating. What's the
0: other 10%? That's a good oh, no. question. Is it food? I'm just kidding.
2: <laughs> yeah, food's a big one for it's people. Probably, in in comfort. It's probably, my case,
0: water. Did I yeah. drink water No, you know today? what
2: it is? I, I, yeah, I, I stated it wrong. It's that 50% is genetic. That's what it is. Yeah. But because of epigenetics in terms of our environment and our experiences, that's going to affect how those genes are turned on.
0: Yeah. That's fascinating. So that's for men or women struggling with emotional breath. And then what about the people who are chronically empaths, you know, and feel like they're being leached energetically? That's more of the feminine, you know.
2: Yeah. Again, because of the messages that we're given, that's our worth. So when you start recognizing that your worth is not just about how you show up for other people, how you help them, how, you know, are taking responsibility for their emotional states, as you start identifying your worth in other ways, you'll start pulling away from that a little bit in terms of being able to set different boundaries, you will have less of a desire to be draining yourself in that way, because it's in part, we're kind of, you know, we're trying to secure our love.
0: Yeah. It's a worthiness thing, really. It when is. you overgive and overperform, I think yeah, that, yeah.
2: you know, if I really show up for someone, if I'm really helpful for them, then how could they possibly ever reject me or abandon So
0: as you become more self-loving and self-secure, then you can kind of hold your own boundaries because you're like, well, I don't, if they leave me, who cares? I got my yes. back. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah.
1: Okay. Exactly. I was just reflecting. Cause you know, one of the things that I talk about a lot on the podcast and everything is how I feel more of the masculine um expression and then when i have to go into the mother role i find it's very difficult for me to switch between the two and so it's almost like that within my own compartmentalization I, I have a difficulty with doing that and so what i've tried to do is cultivate a mixture between them so that my masculine isn't quite so starkly you know so it doesn't feel like such a jarring switch between the two if that mm-hmm. makes sense i don't know have you ever come across anybody with a similar well- Expression. You know,
2: it's interesting. I was actually just thinking about, you know, I'm aware that kind of towards the end of, or maybe even throughout my marriage that I think that my kind of masculine energy got a little elevated and, you know, my ex is a very caring person. And yet I think, I think I didn't trust that, you know, because of my childhood stuff, and yet I also have a very strong maternal energy. So I was thinking about what you said and I'm like, I guess there's different ways that can I'm a terrible compartmentalizer. I don't I wish I was better sometimes. I think in like denial, it can be such a great coping skill. and I don't know how to do it. So I just feel everything so intensely, good or bad. I'm just kind of interested in what you just said in terms of the compartmentalization of that, because I think I was holding both of those things at the
1: same time. And then it kind of, and how did that like then lead to, to, how did that then affect your relationship? Just if you don't mind, or you can, Oh, I don't it think it and, was great. I was, I was kind <laughs> of like maybe alluding to that because he is your p- former partner. But. Yeah, no,
2: I don't think, I think my part in it is that it's that feminine energy in terms of understanding that in part, it's about knowing how to receive. Mm-hmm. And trusting that the other person will give in that way. And so you hear all this talk about, you know, Gary Chapman's love languages. And so many men, I cannot tell you how many men in sessions will say, well, my love language is acts of service. I don't know that it is. I think that you've been conditioned to think that way. And so you see this a lot in relationships, right? So I could see with my ex, very kind man, a talker. I mean, we were really connected for a number of years. And he might have said that his love language was acts of service. We never had that conversation because he would, he would book appointments and he would, you know, all that kind of stuff. In terms of the emotional care, I think I never learned, again, an empath, how to really trust it and let myself receive it and let that person give it however they're going to give it and so i think i would kind of put up some armor of i I got it i can take care of my you know
1: yeah no that makes a lot of sense that makes a lot of sense so then they don't even know their way in and that's the interesting thing that's what struck me when you said that as i was like okay so the divine masculine is is an outward thing it's a doing thing it's it's moving someplace it's not a vessel for anything other than the movement. And then the maternal is also that outward thing. So where is the vessel? Where's the receptive vessel in either of those? You know, yeah. there I, you go. Good. Yeah. Thank you for making that connection. No, us. I <laughs> just struck me. I was like, true. "You're right. right." I was reflecting on your story, and being like, "Oh, yeah, I don't have a receptive vessel. Where is that?" <laughs> I I love that.
2: That's exactly it. So that's one of the things that I love about the interim period in between relationships that I'm in right now is it gives you that opportunity to reflect on all that and learn how to receive and learn how to give to yourself. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Nice. One of the things you talk about in your viral TikTok, the one that hit like 5 million, was you're talking about how many men nowadays, when their wife comes, or many husbands, I should say, nowadays, when their wife comes to them saying, I'm ready for a divorce, I want a divorce, they say, and you put it, you know, you quote that they've been blindsided, even though Mm -hmm. that the wife has been mentioning all along how unhappy she is in the relationship. Could you talk a little bit more about that?
2: I think that's one of the biggest aspects of this problematic pattern, right? So every relationship is unique and has all kinds of different patterns. And some of them are great and and foster growth. And some of them are inhibit growth and connection is such a prevalent pattern in terms of when women and women, you know, they will go for years bringing up with their partners. I, you know, in whatever way that they're describing it, I describe it as disconnection. So I think we've also been led to believe and focus, you know, led to believe that the problem is about, you know, a lack of effective communication. And so everyone uses that language and we all talk about how can we, you know, communicate in a more effective, impactful way. I don't actually think that's the issue. So I think we haven't been identifying the problem accurately. I think it's about a crisis of connection in the relationship and, and effective communication is one of the foundational tools to help us reconnect. So every relationship is going to have phases of disconnection, of rupture, and it's learning how to, learning the skills in order to reconnect. And so in this, the part of the pattern that you mentioned, women will go to their partners multiple times to say, something's up, this doesn't feel good, you know, and Mm -hmm. sometimes they're not doing it in the best way, sometimes it's coming out as blaming and criticism and But a lot of the time they're being quite sensitive about how they don't want to hurt their partner's feelings. They don't want to come across as insensitive. Women will say to me, I'm worried I'm going to cry. And then that's going to be upsetting to him. I was told after my split with my ex that he couldn't really hear me because I didn't cry because I was talking to him in this tone of voice. So I'm like, we can't really win, you know? And so they're either directly dismissed again with this very misogynistic message of, you're crazy. This is a very common thing where men, and they don't even think they're being unkind half the time when they say that you're crazy, you know what you're talking about. This is just a phase, you're blowing things out of proportion, you know, really direct dismissal, or it'll be more indirect, like it was with my ex, where in the moment he was very compassionate. You know, it was, I hate to hear that you're feeling this way that you feel alone in the relationship that you feel abandoned i hate this and then you know the very next day just kind of went on about his business as if we never had it and i think in fairness sometimes there's no action taken no revisiting of the woman's lack of satisfaction because he doesn't know what to do and right because men are sensitive to feelings of inadequacy, if they don't know what to do, they may really avoid the situation altogether, but the way that it feels to the woman as a la- is a-, as a lack of care. So it I doesn't feel like, get resolved.
0: Yeah, I feel like, okay, put the analogy as, if you only have two choices, like you only know how to do one or two things, I, I can't think of a great analogy, but like you only know how to hit a, the pool ball in that hole or that hole, mm-hmm. but there's six other holes. And I feel like, you know, the men are taught to only hit it in this one hole. They can't comprehend or navigate the possibility of other holes. It's like something structurally in the brain needs to change to even open up to the idea that there are other ways. If your husband had said to you, well, just give me the list. Just tell me what I need to do. I'll Mm -hmm. do it. That Mm -hmm. was that's not the thing because you're then, you know, giving him a map to the pool table holes right so it has to come from within it has to be a transformation from within i think on the partners behalf for anything to actually shift it has to be transformational because otherwise they're just going through the motions but they're still just putting that same ball in that same hole if that makes sense
2: no it 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 does absolutely it's about personal and relational transformation. It's both. So people get so focused on, you know, the relationship and they each have to transform personally because they're both playing a part in the pattern. And so what you're talking about, I love that you said in terms of something in the brain needs to shift because I'm really into interpersonal neurobiology and you're right. So I think they're feeling a state in that moment, right? Their threat response has kicked in. And so they're either going to, I mean, some men will get really, you know, verbally dismissive and kind of power over, you know, dynamic with the women or others will just, you know, avoid it. Some will get panicky that she, you know, when a woman gets to a point where she's already said it a number of times and she's saying it in a different way and she's saying, I don't think I can do this anymore. Then sometimes often the men get really scared. And so they're still in a threat response, but they slide right into all change. And so in terms of what you're saying with something needs to shift in the brain, it's about that both people have to identify that there's a problem and that once they've identified that there's a problem, both people have to take responsibility for the repair and the growth and the nourishing of the relationship. As long as that still remains, you know, on the woman, it's, these patterns are not
0: going to change. You can only shoot it in that one hole. What do you think about, well, meditation is one form of transformation. What do you think about microdosing? There's a new series out on Hulu. Called Nine Perfect Strangers, and how, because mm-hmm. you're talking about the neurobiology and how microdosing on, I'm going to say it wrong. What is it? Clearly, I don't know what I'm talking Psilocybin. about. Psilocybin yes, and LSD can cause changes in the brain that people can actually transform quicker than they would say in meditation. I mean, I don't know. That's just a random topic, maybe to bring up, but have um, you seen any research where you are about that?
2: Yeah. I mean, I'm always kind of open to learn more about you know, current practices. And at the same time, it's like this whole thing about like hacks, life hacks, spiritual. I'm not really, you know, a big fan of that idea of bypassing spiritual bypasses, those kind of invest in the growth. I'm not saying don't, if you want to try it, go for, I mean, I know a lot of people, not a lot, some people who have tried ayahuasca and I, and I listen to the stories of it. And I'm like, you're trying to Most of the people that I know, and they will, even though they maybe enjoyed the experiences, they will get to a point where it's like what they gained from the ayahuasca experience, they didn't then integrate in -hmm. a transformational way. And they're like, so I'm like, it just feels a little bit like bypassing the psychological growth to me, trying to take a shortcut.
1: Yeah. Can can I ask a question about relational versus personal? Because I've had a lot of conversations with women, whether they're friends or clients, and it's interesting because I feel like people, when they're going through massive personal growth, Mm -hmm. it feels like the natural conclusion to kind of blow up the relational experience. Like I've outgrown this or I've, you know, something along that. Can you just speak to that? Because sometimes I feel like it is hard to, you know, for me, even doing this podcast like going through all the personal growth sometimes the the relationship kind of has to grow along the same lines otherwise you, Absolutely. Can, you can leave it behind right and
2: not just your romantic relationship but your friendships your relationship yeah. with family members what you see is you step into your worth and grow more You don't want to invest as much time and energy in your heart into relationships that are not reflecting that back to you. And it's really painful. It's really painful because it means, you know, in your romantic relationship, you recognize more and more that you're not fulfilled. So I, you know, I've talked about that the process, which happens often over years with women leaving their long-term relationships is that they slide in and out of clarity and self-deception because they don't want to leave. So they have clarity of like what you're saying, I've outgrown this as they've been investing in their own personal growth. So they'll feel, another one of the patterns, they'll feel unfulfilled for quite some time. They will then start investing in their personal growth. And if their partner isn't doing the same, they're going to go in different directions, right? There's, they start to speak a different language. They have different you know, awareness, different relational skills. Different, you know, personal growth skills. So, yeah, that that does happen a lot. You know, that's why both people. I think for life, I wish people could understand this. That for life, it's beneficial to invest in our personal growth and relational intelligence mm-hmm. and growth.
1: Yeah. No, that's a, that's mm-hmm. a really good point because you. Re, I mean, it is a it's a careful balance. It's it really tough. is. Yeah.
2: yeah. So you'll see women in a lot. You know, some of the women that I'm working with. They will be in so much pain because they're trying to motivate their partner to invest in his own growth. Yeah. And they're trying, they're, and they're so discouraged. And, and you can't. It's got to be, it's got to come from
1: his own intrinsic motivation. And maybe that, like you were saying, like that moment when you say it in a different way, mm-hmm. and maybe their reptilian brain turns on or and they're like, oh God. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and it fascinates
0: yeah. me sometimes when you just like give an analogy. And they're like, oh, now I get it. I'm like, I've been saying that for 12 years or five years or whatever. But when I gave it an now, yeah. you know, it's fascinating to me. Yeah,
2: you're right. Sometimes it's a different way of understanding this. I think the other thing that's kind of woven into this whole pattern that people don't like to talk about, but that, you know, if you've been raised in a patriarchy, entitlement is part of it. And both women and men, kind of collude in that so and the evidence of that is once she decides I can't do this anymore I've been saying this over and over again and I have to leave the anger the anger now of course some anger when you feel betrayed when you feel abandoned at the same time there's a lot of anger around you know how dare you leave me entitlement really kicks in and so I do think that's playing a part and again it's not to vilify men they've been you know like steeped in patriarchal messages, right? Around male privilege. So when a woman is saying, I'm not happy, I think entitlement is also playing into that in terms of them, you know, not really getting that she might leave if it doesn't change.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Because it, so yeah.
1: go ahead.
0: Go, uh, ahead. go ahead, Chris. Did you no, want to? I didn't, nothing. So here's a question When do you know that the relationship is beyond repair, that you have done all your internal transformation or your partner has and you're just I guess I guess the question is when do you know you're not happy enough or when do you know the relationship is over? You
2: just it's so different for each person. however there's there's often some final moment like I call it kind of the straw that broke the camel's back moment and it could be something really little that doesn't even register for your partner and you know the woman goes, oh, I see what's going on here. I can't do this and she sees things through a different lens so as in that process of clarity of, of vacillating between clarity and self-deception she still is kind of building up her clarity it just gets you know masked and then she gets to a point where she just kind of it's a long process of growth for her and it's, and, and some people will be in that for years and others, it's, you know, you know, some people, it may be 10 years for some, it may be two or three, but you just do get to a place of inner knowing where you're like, I don't want to invest in this anymore.
1: Yeah. It's like you almost stay in clarity or the difference between self-deception and clarity. Gets, yes. There's no, there's very little difference between them. So the vacillation yep. doesn't, they're yep. all on and the other you- side of, I'm going to leave you.
2: Yeah. And then, and it's so hard. It is so terrifying to come forward and say that. And then once it's out of your mouth, you're thinking, am I going to, did I really just say that? Am I going to stick with that? And then what you recognize is this, so many women describe this and I went through this, this feeling of levity. And so it's really confusing to your partner because it looks like you're just suddenly skipping down the street when you're about, and you're still in pain, but you're telling your truth and you're not deceiving yourself anymore. So you do feel lighter. And you also, it also validates even more. This is the right decision for me. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: No, that's good. Thank you.
0: So another question I have could be, what can a conscious masculine conscious man do to prevent the marriage from dying? Or can, I guess he can only work on himself. Maybe I'm answering my own question. He can really only focus on himself or are there things a man can do to prevent the death of a relationship? And then I'll ask the same question for women.
2: Yeah, I think it's I think it's both. I think it's investing in his personal transformation and in the relational transformation. And, and it would be great if from you know earlier on in the relationship, both people decide to invest in the growth and the nourishment of the relationship so that they can then navigate some of the ruptures together. So that it's not on the woman to monitor how close they are and then what to do about it and then how much progress they're making and then motivate her partner to invest, all of that. And men with higher emotional intelligence who have grown up around people talking about aspects of relational intelligence, they just kind of jump in to do this more naturally.
1: Yeah. It's interesting, I saw I, so much of our influences from social media, oh, I yeah. just heard this. I don't know if it's true or not, but I'm gonna tell you the story anyway, because maybe we just have a zillion archetypal stories now as opposed to just 12, Yeah, you know, in this day. It was, a, it was just a story about a couple who, they were both in really bad spots, but they were together and they were just like, we're gonna go away for two years. And they just, I don't know if they had planned it for two years, and then as they came back, they had done their work but in that case they had to separate yeah you know, they had to separate yeah. with the plan to get back together but it was what was necessary for them to do the work they needed to do for the personal work so that then mm-hmm. they could come back together as a as in the healthy relationship and then concentrate on the relational work yeah
2: because it is so difficult to shift patterns like these you know, these reinforcing feedback loops in relationships, right, that each person is playing a part in. And the more one person A does something, it affects person B in this way, Then person B does something that affects person A even more in that way. And and it's really tricky to shift them when they've been going on for decades.
1: Yeah, no, that's, that's, it's an interesting, it's just an interesting prospect for me to think about it in terms of, because I think of community and then personal work, like I think of the inner work and the outer work, but in this way, I don't know you've given me a really good perspective on that. Thank you. It's both. Yeah.
2: Like we really need both. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, yeah, we absolutely do. I
0: absolutely do. I think the number one trait to look for in a partner, if someone listening is single is finding a partner who's willing to self reflect because self-reflection is really where transformation begins. It begins with first being able to even look at your shit. So because the body can change. We're all going to age. I think so many other things change, but the ability to self-reflect, I feel like by the time you're an adult and you're dating, you can you either can or you can't. Mm-hmm. So that would be my number one trait to look for. What would you say are the best traits to be looking for in a partner to anyone listening who's single?
2: You know, again, because I think kind of relationally, I think in terms of paying attention to to the interplay between the two of you. So I agree with you that self-reflection and awareness and a growth mindset and all that is really important. And at the same time, it's the interplay between the two people, you know, that we have, I think for both people to have spent some time gaining an awareness of what their wounds are From childhood to understand what is triggering to them and to know how to take care of themselves through those triggers, to know what their reactive patterns are. I mean, that is just such a, that is playing out in every relationship. And it's so interesting to me that you will talk to people who've been together for years. And when I ask them that question, right, in couples coaching, and they look at each other and they don't know what each other's triggers are. They don't know what their own are. They may have some awareness around stuff that happened to them in childhood but they haven't connected it to their relational pattern. So in terms of must haves for a person, I think it's so, I think it's also very personal based on what your, the intersectionality of everything, what your experiences have been, what would feel really painful for you and what would feel good for you. I mean, I think of in terms of what's growth fostering, what, what adds to your self-worth, you know, and, and, an interplay with someone else that is additive to your self-worth and your fulfillment, paying attention to how you feel when you're with this person.
1: Yeah, I love that. Thank you. That makes a lot of sense. Well, I have two questions. I, can you tell us about your coaching, about your life coaching business, and kind of what you offer for that so that we can let people know if they're interested and also just because I'm curious?
2: <laughs> so I take an approach from a desire to shift the growth paradigm which currently exists which is that growth is linear I think that's problematic I think it leads people to be self-critical it's based on like childhood development right the way that children develop because the way their brain is developing and I think that growth is more fluid and associative and so I in thinking about that I got really fascinated by the structural integrity of a web of the orb web because what came to me was like that's what I think growth is about. And so the more research I did on that, the more I really understood that like a web is a a damage tolerant system that, you know, the spider thinks that the damage is localized and she doesn't just let that damage sit. She scurries over and she repairs it and each strand in the web is made it's made of a different type of material so that adds to the structural I'm integrity. getting
0: chills because you just are? yesterday I had a vision of a spider web you did being the analogy of how we relate to people oh so, that's so beautiful I'm so happy you said that because sometimes yes. I think people are like what no because uh, because we're I was thinking how we're all attached to people in yes. so many different ways. Yes. And they can pull on different strings, and we can pull on others, and how yes. we're all attached. And if you have beef with one person over here, it's not isolated. Everyone on the web is affected by that dynamic.
2: I agree. So I call it my web of well being. And so for me, you know, I'm also very intuitive. So when I'm working with people, I'm going to focus on what they're bringing up in that session, but overall, in terms of the different components of that web, you know, there are the anchoring threads, which I really think is your relationship to yourself. So just as an example, expanding your self-worth, you know, the skills of secure attachment with yourself, self-compassion, self-regulation, you know, self-directed neuroplasticity, right? All of that to improve the relationship with yourself and then to identify your core values and understand if you are in alignment with them, where they may be being compromised. And then the interesting thing, the other thing I I love about a web is that what adds to the strength of it is actually that it has a second frame in it. And without that frame, it wouldn't be able to, you know, withstand gill force winds and all of that. It appears quite, 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 Fragile, but it's not, it's right. so strong, flexible, and so but, mm-hmm. exactly. <clears throat> and it's flexibility that also adds to its strength. And so, when we get very rich, we get very narrow minded, right? We move away from innovation, creativity, growth, and so we also want to be flexible in the way that we respond. And in terms of that second frame, I really think of that as our interactions with other people. Mm -hmm. as our relational intelligence, and then also work with people on identifying their strengths and really understanding for most people, I find that some of the things that their strengths that they're leading with are actually different, are actually, you know, adaptive strategies to trauma. And so then that means that in leading with those strengths, it's not actually as fulfilling to them. And then right. some of the strengths that they had as young children were shut down, were told that they weren't as valuable. So some of that work and then all the, you know, behaviors and practices that kind of connect all of this so that people move towards a greater sense of well-being an understanding of what their inner resources are and that they can tap into those inner resources at any point in time, you know, and yes, an assessment and an expansion of external resources and the interplay between the two, but I find that. People tend to neglect the inner resources that are always there. They don't even know what they are.
1: The other question is, I'm just so called to ask about what the lion on your website represents. Oh, Um, you could see (laughs) where there's lions all around. Are they really? Uh, Yeah. It was just like calling to me. I was like, I got to ask you this question. Oh, I love no one's ever
2: asked me that. I have been drawn to lions since I was like a toddler my dream as a young kid was just get me to africa to see lions and when i got there i just started like sobbing you know it just felt so such a connection to africa and lions to me represent courage they represent a great balance of autonomy and interdependence mm-hmm. those female lions they go and hunt and provide for their pride and then they also love hanging out and the value of rest and play And this kind of balance of being kind of fierce when you need to, and then also chilling out in the shade and, you know, and playing and being affectionate. And I'm just, I'm crazy for lions. And also in coaching, it's that the more courageous people feel, the more that they will take thoughtful risks for themselves to grow.
1: No, that's really, that's wonderful. Thank I like you. That. For those of you who would like to see this line and would also like to see what Gemma has to offer. Her website is J E M M A R A N E coaching.com. And that's all Gemma one Rain coaching.com. Coaching, yes. So I just,
0: I had a quick question because you talked about your philosophy and the web, but, but when people work with you, is it, do you give, I'm just curious how it works. You give them homework, you give them meditations, yes. you just, you chat, like what kind, what does it kind of look like?
2: Yeah, it's a combination of what they're bringing to me in session based on, you know, what's happened for them in the last week and the um, integration of the insight that they gain in session with how they then put that into play you know, with assessing situations in a different way, with self-reflection, with pushing themselves out of their comfort zone to respond to other people in different ways. And so, yeah, there's, it's a combination of, I do give homework that is sometimes it's written exercises to pull out more insight from them and also just practical exercises in terms of action steps to connect with the insight.
0: Okay. Awesome. This has been a great conversation. I'm. Um, this is one of my favorite interviews. Oh,
1: thank you. It's been very this fun to speak with both of you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much, Shema, for your time. We really appreciate that and all of your insight today. Thank you Yours so
2: much. Yours too. I, I love how collaborative this felt.
1: Yes. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode and are interested in working with Gemma, you can go to Gemma Rain Coaching. That's J-E-M-M-A-R-A-N-E coaching.com. Have a great day. And remember, humility, gratitude,
0: acceptance, done.
1: Let me tell you all a riddle. There are four girls and four apples in a basket. Every girl takes an apple, yet one apple remains in the basket. How is this possible? The answer, one girl took the basket. She took the last apple while it was in the basket. Sometimes all it takes is a perspective shift. Book a free call with me at wwwchriswiltsycom forward slash discover. Hi, y'all. Listening to the last season of This Spiritual Fix may have stirred up for you some awareness of how the mother wound ties into so many of our subconscious needs and desires in our daily lives. Well, we've put together a comprehensive five-week course on this mother wound, complete with meditations, journal prompts, and never-before-seen videos and lectures. This course is designed for you to heal your personal and cosmic attachment wounds, reparent yourself, and surrender to the Great Mother. This course is an intense experience for spiritual seekers, and maybe you're not ready for something that intense, yet. So we put together our version of what we call the shadow work essentials course, the mother wound mini to give you access and awareness to this wound with tools to process your energy and to remember the cosmic mother's love for you. I cannot emphasize enough how much this work has changed my relationship with my partner, my kids, my family, and the world. It can be life changing for you too. Go to our shop www.thisspiritualfix.com forward slash shop for more details.